The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning. The scripture reading today can be found in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. That is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet? That is, I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled. They opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The word of the Lord. So today, right, we get to celebrate something so sweet, so wonderful, um, that it's almost too good to be true. And if it it were true, if this was true, uh, it could change anything. It could, I mean, we're talking about joy, real joy, real happiness forever. And we're talking about bedrock hope, no matter what. If this is true, it's everything. It's the resurrection of Jesus. But you know, sometimes people approach the resurrection like it's a nursery rhyme. Have you ever felt that way or maybe you've met somebody like that? But there's this kind of dirty secret underneath that assumption. It's not actually real. It's not real like work is real or like food is real. Is that satisfying to you, the nursery rhyme view? Is it worth anything? You know, a lot of people um, approach it with a symbolic view, and this is kind of the intellectual way to do it. There's people with way too many titles after their names who write large books about how the resurrection, well, it's symbolic. And they're saying, I'm not saying it's not true or real. It's just not historically true or real is what they'll say. And then uh, and they'll say, look, it's symbolic. So anytime they'll say, you face a hard time, but you keep finding hope and you keep trying. Well, it's like the resurrection is real. It's happening in you, they'll say. Or, or if you could just keep a positive spin on things when life is hard, it's like the resurrection is happening in you. Or when you forgive somebody, there's new life. It's like the resurrection is happening in you. But again, the dirty secret, right? It's, it's not historically Real. And again, we could ask, is that, is that satisfying to you? Is it going to work when things really are hard and awful? 
So, so these approaches that are very common, they raise this question, how should we approach the resurrection? Know about it. Um, and the best way to find the answer to that, don't you think, is to look at the eyewitness accounts of what happened when Jesus actually appeared to his disciples. How did they take it? Did, did they meet together afterwards and go, wasn't that a nice story? I think that's going to give me some motivation for when life is hard. What an incredible symbol he gave us. Too bad he's really dead. Is that what happened? Well, let's look. Let's just look one more time. Let's look at the account, an eyewitness account from Dr. Luke, a noted historian. He's gathered the stories and he wants to put it together for you. And he wants to show you this picture of when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his crucifixion and his death and burial. So we're going to look at it together and we're going to see that if it's anything, it's overwhelming. I want to tell you that it's overwhelming in three ways. Number one, it's overwhelmingly physical. Overwhelmingly physical. Number two, it's overwhelmingly meaningful. It has echoes that just reverberate about everything. And number three, it's overwhelmingly hopeful. Physical, meaningful, hopeful. So as we enter into this part of the stories, you heard it as it was read, the disciples are confused. You know, as, as readers, like 83 times, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise. And then when he dies on the cross, they're shocked. They can't believe it. And you know what? I can't blame them. I think I would have been just like them. They're shocked. They're appalled. And they're devastated. And as he's crucified, they're, they're, they're terrified, right? And so they go hide themselves in this room and the doors are locked and they're devastated. They don't even know what to do about life. Well, two days later, the story starts swirling. And this group of faithful women who's been with him for years starts saying, the tomb is empty, we saw him. And like good biblical brothers in Christ that they are, they said, we believe you, sisters. <laughs> no, they didn't. They treated it like the rest of the world and said, uh, wishful thinking. But do you hear this? Jesus predicted his resurrection and the disciples hear eyewitness testimony from people they know and trust. And No, it can't be. It can't be. And then uh, the story that's kind of on the tipping point of our text this morning, Jesus evidently went for a walk with two of his disciples. We don't know their names. On the road to Emmaus. So these dudes walk seven miles to get to this town. And then they realize who this is. And he shows them everything. And of course, even though it's late at night, even though they just put on seven miles, they're running back seven more miles to tell the other disciples, he's alive. And everybody's like, I don't know. That's where we jumped in. We're talking about these things. And then, uh, can you try to imagine this with me? Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. You, you have to do this, okay? I, I, don't, I don't want to dig up a, um, a painful spot, but you've had somebody you love die, right? We all have. If you haven't, just wait longer. Um, you have. And, and sometimes people think, you know what, I feel like I saw him or I dreamed about him. We hear stories like that. But this is somebody in the room, and you're not by yourself. You're with a group of other people, and all of a sudden that person that you knew and loved is standing there smiling at you and saying, what's up? How would you respond? 
Look at how they respond. Listen, if this was a myth, a lot of people say that these gospels are myths. You know, they're written way too early to be myths. If this was a myth, you'd have like one of the leaders of the apostles going, oh, hey, Jesus, we've been waiting for you. Oh, you've risen just as you've said, and we're good biblical folks, and we believe your word. Is that how they respond? Did you see it? How, what, what's their respond? Verse 37, they're startled, they're frightened, and what do they think they're seeing? It has to be. Because they have no concept that Jesus would physically rise from the dead. They cannot believe that that's actually the case. They, they can't believe it. You're a ghost, and so now Jesus has work to do. Because what does he want to show them? I am not a ghost. Look at what happens. Verse 38. Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Well, because you just appeared out of nowhere after being dead, okay? You're freaking us out. <laughs> Look what he says, verse 39. See my hands and my feet. It's myself. You know, amazingly, even though he has this glorified body, he kept his scars. He's kept his scars. Why did he keep them? Why do you keep them? I think a few reasons. Number one, you know who he is. Which one's Jesus? Check out the wrists. But, but there's a bigger reason. Because he's wearing on his body for the end of time the marks that say, I love you. Even though you've messed it up, I love you. Even though you screwed it up, I'll never let you go. Look, here's the marks. And then he says, see my marks? And then he says, touch me. Come on, give me a hug, right? How many times do you give your buddies, your sisters a hug? Give me a hug, Jesus. Come on, touch me, give me a hug. Spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. What is he trying to convince them? The resurrection is overwhelmingly physical. It's physical. He's really wearing skin. He's not a ghost. He says, it's I myself. It's me. It's me. Again, imagine that loved one you lost. Imagine them being with you again, but not in some ghostly form or you thought you heard you know, them whisper something to you, but just like it used to be, except better. Right there in the flesh. And you could touch them and look them in the eyes again and smile again and hug them again. That's why I love this verse. Look at verse 41. Luke writes, and why they still disbelieved for joy. Disbelieved for joy. What does that mean? That means this is too good to be true. And uh, you and I, we've lived in this world long enough to know that if it's too good to be true, guess what? It probably is, okay? Except for this one. Except for this one. You mean the one who loved me, the one I love, the one who was slaughtered on a cross, he's here again in the flesh, and I'm looking in his eyes, and I can hear than ever. It's too good to be true. And so Jesus says, uh, do you have any fish? <laughs> Why does Jesus say that? Is he like, low? It's, it's hard work to die on a cross, rise from the dead. Brother's hungry, right? Is that, what he, is that why? I'm starving, you guys. I, I couldn't find a, a Del Taco on the way here. I was hoping you had something here in the upper room. No. Why does he want some fish? He wants to show you just how physical his resurrection is. 
Because let me tell you one thing about life, I don't even need to tell you because you already know this. What are many of you, most of you, if you don't have this to do afterwards, come to my house. What are you going to do after this? You are going to gather with people and you are going to stuff your faces. Can I get an amen? amen? Because that's what we do when we know and love and enjoy one another. We eat. All throughout the Israelite calendar, it was like seven times a year. This is my law, God says. You all need to get together and you need to eat steak before me. Yes, Lord, I hear your voice, right? We, we eat together. And how many times has the disciples, right, the late night campfire or, or, or they, they went to somebody's house or, or there was a party over here. Jesus was known, I mean, his enemies called him a drunkard and a glutton and drinking with people. How many times had they ate with him? And he said, give me some fish. Why? Because he says, I want you to see I have real hands holding real fish that I'm putting into my real mouth and I'm going to chew with my real teeth and taste with my real tongue. I am physically alive again. It's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. And yet it's true. Is this, is, is Luke writing this so that you'd be like, oh, this is a wonderful nursery rhyme that's going to give me hope when I'm sad? Is that the way this is written? No, it's too real. Uh, again, the disciples who've been told what's going to happen, do they believe it? Do they see it? Do they encounter it? Yeah, how many religions work like this, okay? Can you imagine? If you were writing a fake religion, would all your major books say, hey, look how stupid our leaders were? They had no clue pretty much every time. And yet that's what Luke is showing you. Jesus has to spoon feed this to them. It's not a myth, it's real. They don't know what to do. It's not a myth. He physically rose. It's overwhelming. Not only that, it's not just symbolic. Hey, somebody, tell me if you're into the symbolic thing, what is the symbolism of him eating fish? And this, this is to show you that I really care that you have a, uh, a healthy, balanced diet. So remember this symbol. No. And he's doing everything he can, do you see it? Literally, physically alive, and it's overwhelming. Life after death. Can you believe that? Wow. It's overwhelmingly physical. This means it's also the resurrection of Jesus, overwhelmingly meaningful. There's more meaning to it knowing that it's physical. It's real. It actually happens. There's echoes. There's implications of this reality. I want to think through some of these with you. Look at verse 44. Look what Jesus says after he's like, let's eat. Verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now Jesus is talking about the Bible of his day. Right? The law of the prophets and the Psalms, the Bible of his day. Now, just from his point of view, from a Jewish point of view, what is the Bible? What is this? This is the account, right, of what God is doing in history. This is everything. This is, this is what God has said about what reality is. This is what God has said about who we are. This is what God has said about what he's doing. This is the answer to what life is all about. This is truth right here, the Bible. And Jesus now says, what God is saying is written, Jesus says, about me. It's all about me. 
I am the answer to every question. I am the reason you exist. I, he says, am the only hope for your happiness. It's all on me. Let me, let me try this out on you. Say, um, say you had me over for dinner, and I said that about myself to you. I said to you, you know what? Life, it's all about me. Now, some of us act like that. We just don't say it out loud, right? Huh? Anybody? Guilty? It's all about me. In fact, I'm what God is doing in the world. Now, if I said that to you, you would have, I don't know, what would you do? You would scoff. You would laugh. You'd think, is he joking? If you thought I was serious, you might think about checking me into a mental hospital. Uh, You'd start getting angry at me for saying such a thing. You'd be concerned about me. True? What would I have to do to prove it that all history is about me? How about if I predicted that I was going to die on a cross at the hands of the Romans and on the third day I was going to rise again physically and then I did it? Would you at least be like, hmm? Okay? And then how much more you've seen life like Christ did, full of miracles and teaching and, and so utterly unique. Listen, it's all about him and the resurrection proves it. You, you realize facts can be very inconvenient things. And there are some facts that when you take them seriously and you ingest what they mean, they change everything. And this is one of them. So legitimately, we all need to come to to grips with this. Did Jesus physically rise from the dead? Because if he did, it proves that everything is about him. Which means that if your life isn't about him, you are out of track with what the world is all about. The resurrection is incredibly meaningful. Jesus is everything. We can say more. Not only does it show that everything is about him, Jesus with this line says, not only is the Bible all about me, I prove that the Bible is actually true. The Bible is actually authoritative. Just follow this with me. I think it works. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. True? True. Jesus claimed the scriptures to, in other words, this is what he has said. It is true whether you like it or not. True. If Jesus predicts his death and resurrection and then pulls it off, is that good enough evidence for you that he is, in fact, the son of God? And if he's the son of God, does that not prove that what he has said is true? Which means Jesus proves the trustworthiness and the authoritativeness of the scriptures with his resurrection. Again, facts can be inconvenient things. Have you ever read the Bible and you were bothered by part of it? If that's never happened to you, I'm not sure you've actually read the Bible. <laughs> okay? There are parts that are gonna bother us. You know, no matter what culture you're in, there's gonna be parts of the Bible that you go, oh yeah, that's great. And there's going to be parts of the Bible where you go, ooh, I can't stand that. No matter what culture you're in. Because there's good things in every culture and there's, there's bad things in every culture. It's very curious to realize that some of these things are different. I could preach one sermon here in America and everybody's like, great. I preach the same sermon in, say, uh, in, uh, in Eastern culture. Everybody's mad at me. 
Or I flip it, I could preach one kind of sermon there and everybody likes it and then I preach it here, everybody here is mad. Why is that? Culture's changed, there's good and there's bad and God's able to contradict you. Do you have a God who's able to contradict you? You realize, if you, sometimes people will say to me, oh, I can't believe in a God like that. And, you're, and you're, What do you mean by that? And, and sometimes I feel like it means, they're saying, if God ever disagrees with me, he can't be God. Do you even have friendships like that? How many of you are married or you're trying to be married or you used to be married, okay? Has anybody ever had a real spouse who always agreed with them? Are you, are you kidding me? What was that movie, The Stepford Wives or something, right? Let's make robot wives, brainwashed wives. They'll always agree with us. It'll be perfect, right? That's what the movie's about. Except do any of those dudes have a real relationship with their wives? No. If you have a real relationship with anybody, sometimes that person is going to elbow you, bump you, disagree with you. They're not you. They don't see the world like you do. They have different opinions. How much more, my friends, than if you have a relationship with God? If your God has to always agree with you, I'm just going to break it to you, you think you're God. And so how do we know what God says and, and what do we do when we just, well, you got to study. Sometimes maybe you don't understand the passage for, for what it's really saying, but the Bible is God's word and it's trustworthy and it's authoritative, which means we need to submit ourselves to it, trust it, understand it. That's a meaning here of Jesus' physical resurrection. Do you see how overwhelmingly meaningful this resurrection thing is? It's all about Jesus. God's word is true. Let me give you one more thing Jesus says here. Look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And with him at this point. Three years at least, right? But now, just now, verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. They've been growing up going to church, and they spent three years with Jesus, and guess how they're doing with the scriptures? <whistles> don't get it. They don't get it. Because guess what hadn't happened yet? Jesus had not died and risen from the dead. He's also saying the Bible is true. Thirdly, he's saying you don't understand the Bible unless you read it through the lens of who I am and what I have done in my death and my resurrection. What does this mean? It means a lot of things. Let me give you one. Uh, I think a lot of people believe that if there's a God, and studies show this, I'm not just making this up, they believe that if there's a God, all he really wants for them is just to be a basically nice person. Just be a basically a nice person and enjoy. That's what people believe. And they could pull out some Bible verses, right? I was actually talking to an atheist guy the other day, and he said his mom didn't believe in God, but she lived by the golden rule. So interesting. So interesting. Uh, what's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Who said that mess? Jesus. Or, uh, hey, even if you, you didn't go to church, you weren't super religious, your mama probably taught you, don't lie. Well, God is just, 
He just wants you to be a generally nice person and then live a happy life. And I've even got some Bible verses. And then you bring Jesus who rose from the dead and he's standing in the room and he says, you don't get the Bible unless you know about my death and my resurrection. What does this mean? What does this mean? You know, the cross was absolutely shocking for its day. It wasn't just a painful way to die. It was shameful. Culturally, only the worst of the worst of the worst die like this. As this is why the Jews had such a hard time believing in Jesus as a Messiah, because dying on a tree like this meant you were under God's curse. And so from a Jewish point of view or a religious point of view, God's Messiah or promised king could never be under God's curse like that. You see what I'm saying? And so the cross, that's why his enemies were mocking him on the cross, because the cross proved to everybody, this can't be the Christ because look, he's bearing curse, he's bearing shame, can't be the promised king. What happened on the third day? He rose from the dead. What does that mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, it means he's been vindicated by God, right? We thought the cross meant God hates Jesus. He's a failure. But now the resurrection adds a new wrinkle to the story. He must not be a failure. He's risen from the dead. He's been vindicated. He's been shown to be pleasing to the Father. Well, let's revisit then. What what does the cross mean? If the cross doesn't mean Jesus was cursed, but he's still suffering. And you see what happens, you see what happens. What if, what if on the cross he wasn't bearing a curse from God for his own failures? What if he was bearing our failures? What if he was taking the curse I deserve? What if God wants way more f- for you than for just being generally a nice person? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, every time. Is that true, is that what he says? What if he says I want you to love your neighbor as yourself? In fact, I want you to love, drum roll, you know where I'm going, your enemy. Has anybody kept that law? Have you kept it? If you stood before God right now in his holy perfection and everything you thought and you said and you've done and the skeletons in your closet, they were all on display. What will God say to you? Do you deserve to be? We're under his wrath. We deserve the curse and that's when the, this pops where Jesus says, look, the whole Bible's been pointing to what I'm gonna do for people who cannot make it to God on their own. I bore the curse for you on the tree. I rose from the dead in victory to win you, to reconcile you, to earn your fruit, knowing me and following me. Folks, do you see here the overwhelming meaning of the resurrection? It changes everything. It changes everything. What does it do to this? Hey, all religions are the same. Throw in physical resurrection. No, they're not. Or how about this one? You can't really know what happens to you when you die. Throw in Jesus' literal resurrection. Yeah, you can. You can't really know God or what life is all about. Throw in Jesus' resurrection. Yes, you do. Word points to him. Do you see the overwhelming meaning of the resurrection? Have you taken it seriously? 
We see that the resurrection is overwhelmingly physical, it's overwhelmingly meaningful. Third, it's overwhelmingly hopeful. Hopeful. Look at verse 47. Jesus said, um, the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead that the repentance of forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. Well, what's the first hope here? What gets to be proclaimed? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Do you know what repentance means? It means to turn. So with any turn, you realize, oh darn, I'm going the wrong way, right? So there's a sorrow, there's a challenge, and then there's, I need to go a different way. Which way do I go? Oh, I need to go that way. I'm gonna turn. And with repentance, you're saying I'm dying to all other loves, all other kings. I want, I want to be owned by Jesus. Aren't you tired of being owned by what people think? Your convictions, by your pride, by this uh, American treadmill we're on to make money. And aren't you tired of being owned? What if you could know the king who loved you so much he gave his life for you? And he rose for you. You repent, you turn yourself to Jesus and the promise is forgiveness of sins that's proclaimed. Can you remember in your life, I wonder if it's happened to you, when you got caught red-handed and the person just forgave you? Do you remember that? Have you ever experienced it? I wonder if some of us have never even experienced it. But maybe some of you have, where they, you knew it hurt them what you'd done. You knew it hurt them, but they said, you know what? I'm not gonna hate you for it. I'm not gonna push you away for it. I want you to know I forgive you. I'm gonna let it go. If you've ever experienced that, you know what it does to your guts. You feel thankfulness for it. And I want you to see Jesus' death and resurrection is here to offer this to you from God the Father himself. He wants to forgive you. Because he's just, he needs to pour out wrath on sin. And he's made a way to do both. I can stand here and honestly say to you that Jesus would look in your eyes, those of you who just trust in him, it doesn't take much faith, just a little. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus would look in your eyes and say, I forgive you. Now go ahead and try it in your heart. You know it's lurking in there, in your guts, the thing you really think he can't forgive you for. You know what that is? Don't say it out loud. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But go ahead and say to him, you mean even that? Could you forgive that? I'll forgive that. How do you know? How do you know that God would forgive all your sins and that what Jesus did is enough? How could you know that if you stand before God, you'll be all right, you'll be forgiven? How could you know? What's the receipt? What's the guarantee? Guess what? He rose from the dead. What Jesus did, it was good enough to save all of my people. What Jesus did, it was enough to forgive every sin. Here's the guarantee, here's the receipt, Jesus is alive. And so when you're condemned, when you're guilty, when you're burdened down, you remember Jesus rose for me, that means the Father is satisfied, that means I'm forgiven. Isn't that hopeful? That is hopeful. I wanna give you one more piece of hope. It's not just hope for this life, it's hope for the next. I wanna show you a little picture of heaven. It's from the prophet Isaiah. I'm gonna read you a couple verses. Isaiah 25, six and eight. Will you read it with me just for fun? We'll make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, 
of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And they just stop for a moment. Some of you are actually shocked right now. You're shocked because you thought heaven was sitting in a bathrobe on a cloud with a harp, <laughs> right? But it's better than the alternative, right? That's all you had. And I read you this verse and you just went, wait, who, what? A feast of rich food. Well, let's symbolize that. No, let's not symbolize that. Let's think of food that tastes good and your teeth biting through it and the juices washing over your tongue and the wonderful feeling of when it goes into your stomach. Oh, and not only that, it's a feast of well-aged wine. And some of you, you're like, It's not going to be O'Doul's. <laughs> a feast of well-aged wine. Come on, when Jesus made wine at that wedding, what did the master of the feast say? How'd you make it taste so good and be non-alcoholic? <laughs> you saved the best wine, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Look at verse 8. Read it with me. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. Oh, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. Don't you feel like life is like oil going through your fingers? You're watching your kids grow up, and you're like, or I remember talking to my grandma. She's, she's passed now. She's with the Lord. I remember calling her up. She lived a long life. And I was like, how you doing? She's like, I'm okay. All my friends are dead. <laughs> All my friends are dead. And you realize something about life as you get older, right? There's stuff you can't grab anymore. There's stuff you can't hang on to anymore. I saw a picture of my kids when they were little. And I was like, where did that little toddler go? I can't even remember that person. And it's even worse. What about your regrets? You look back in your life and you're like, I messed this one thing up and I've never gotten over it. Or that person hurt me and I'm wounded and I've never fully healed. I don't think I will. Or that relationship broke and I couldn't fix it. And, and there's just a sense of loss. And the older you get, maybe the more you, it's lost. And Jesus says, the word is saying, you want to eat good food? And we're like, yes. You want to drink good wine? Yes. And you want to do it with the people you love? Yeah. I'm going to swallow up death forever. I'm going to wipe away tears from all faces. Do you realize what this is saying? It's all wrapped up in when Jesus says, you got any fish? It's all right there. Because you realize on Friday, right, he was whipped to shreds. He was beaten. He was mocked. His beard was pulled out. A crown of thorns thrust on his head. He, he was hung on a cross naked for hours, and people made fun of him. And he was and so dead. And then three days later, he's like, let's eat lunch together. Do you know what this means? It means evil can be undone. It means the broken can be remade and even better than it was before. It means the dreams that died, you can live them again and see them greater than you ever thought possible. I'll quote to you a song from Christmas. I'm cheating a little bit, but it's too good. Have you heard this one? Joy to the world. One verse. 
No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. And then when you sing it, you're like, far as, far as. Change things so holistically when he comes that the curse and all its echoes and all its hurt and all its sorrows and all its tears will be obliterated. Will be remade. And it will be overwhelmingly what? Physical. And we will touch and hold and do and taste and be loved. And guess when it will end? Never. Where else are you going to find hope like that? Try me out. Sometimes people try to convince me Christianity is uh, flawed in some way or whatever. And I'm always like, give me something better. That's my favorite one. What are you going to give me that's better than what I have right here? Go ahead, try. They can't. Listen, it, the, the resurrection is overwhelmingly physical. It's overwhelmingly me- meaningful. It's overwhelmingly hopeful. I want to tell you, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, you're out of hope. Do your best right now. Spin your wheels. It's going to happen. It's going to rot and rust away. It's going to rot and rust away. Keep going to the gym. You can make it last for a while. It's going to rot and rust away. Hang on to them. Control them. Keep them close. They're going to leave. It's going to rot and rust away. Know each other, love each other, have a good time. It's gonna end. It's gonna rot and rust away. I don't mean to be a downer. It's just real. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead when you hit death, whatever that is, there's no hope. It's more than a nursery rhyme. It's more than a symbol. It's hope. It's hope. It's hope that when you stand before God, you'll be forgiven. And it's hope that he will give you a new body and he will give me a new body and he will bring us to his mountain and to this wedding feast of the lamb and he will make a meal that is more real and more tasty and more delicious and more wonderful than anything you have ever had here. We will know what it means to love and be loved and best of all, Jesus Christ right there still showing us his wrists which say, I love you. He'll be right there with us. I'm ready to go right now. How about you? Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.